This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. We finally have a bowl destination for East Carolina football. They're headed to the Birmingham Bowl to take on Coastal Carolina in a bit of an unexpected matchup. Maybe not the most unlikely matchup, but definitely an unlikely setting for the the first ever meeting between Coastal and East Carolina. We'll get into that. I'm Stephen Igo, the host of the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm joined by Coach Brett Hickman. He is busy with Anderson and his new startup job down in South Carolina and doing a good job recruiting. I know you're you're setting up some uh s- some visits and about to hit the road, Brett. So we appreciate as always you taking the time to to join us and talk some football. Yeah man, good to be back and excited to talk about postseason football again and hopefully we get to play a game this year. I, I think it's gonna happen. Yeah, I mean after last year it, it definitely it, it you know people are whining about the bowl and you know we'll get into that maybe a little bit um i even saw some players not thrilled about it you know there is 23 days in between the bowl announcement and the game so i have a feeling that give it a few days i think people will be starting to get excited for the game but i guess when you end up in birmingham alabama instead of tampa florida you know you're going to have some some natural reaction uh brad but first look you're you're very familiar with coastal's program used to work with Jamie Chadwell at previous coaching stops, so you kind of know a little bit about what they do. Obviously, Coach Chadwell moving on to Liberty, so it sounds like he won't even coach in the game. Um, you know, a lot of time between now and then, so we'll see what personnel leaves as well. But just what were your initial thoughts on, you know, the bowl trip, the destination, the matchup? Well, first of all, I mean, probably would have made a little bit more sense to just meet in Wilmington and play. You know, there's probably a – uh, a venue somewhere on on Highway 17 between Myrtle Beach and Greenville, they could have found a game about two hours in 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 the mix. But uh, very similar to a situation when we play Appalachian, it's probably a game that should happen more often now that Coastal has moved up to the uh, moved up to the FBS level. I don't know how much we ran into them recruiting. You know, we we've, we've seem, seemingly been a little bit more in uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, and up through the Mid Atlantic. Uh, you know, obviously Georgia's getting kind of plucked by everybody, but a lot of their uh, talent has certainly come from South Carolina, Georgia, and down in Florida. But I don't, I don't see a whole lot of, uh, you know, knock, knocking heads in recruiting over the last couple of years. I know there's been a couple, but, uh, you know, I like the matchup. You know, we'll get into the, the X's and O's and, and why I think it's a good, 
it's a good game for East Carolina. You know, we went to Birmingham, I guess would have been my junior year uh, at East Carolina in 2006. Not a terrible city to go play in. Um, and I think it's probably going to be a better bowl uh, now that they've moved it out of Legion Field. You know, that was, um, that was the, there's just a, it is what it is. Historic Legion Field was another way of saying antiquated, outdated, and kind of dumpy. Um, so, you know, I think playing it at, at UAB, I am right in saying they're playing it at the new UAB field. Yeah, so uh, that that could be good. And, um, you know, like you said, it's been a while since we've actually had a chance to play a bowl game. So um, I, I do think from a from a guy who, who was kind of in the fire, I, I liked pre-Christmas bowl games for, for obvious reasons. You could get home for the holidays. I know my three years we were – Birmingham, I believe, was the 22nd or the 23rd. Hawaii was the 23rd. And then, uh, you know, we played late enough on, uh, I believe, New Year's Eve or maybe January 2nd at Memphis in 2008 that we were home for Christmas and we flew out on the 26th. So uh, it is kind of a bummer for those kids to, to you know, be spending Christmas in Alabama. So, you know, I'm cognizant of that. But I do like, you know, an after-Christmas bowl game from a player development standpoint. You can really get in there and, um, you know, really treat the first week and a half for development for next year, which I think is important for your twos and your threes. And then once you get uh, through exams and you get on site, you know, obviously it's bowl game and game prep. But, uh, you know, that extra four or five days that you can get of practice, um you know, it's, it's basically adding five to six days of uh, spring practice on for, for next year's team. Yeah, second year in a row, East Carolina will be away from home for Christmas. Uh, they were in Annapolis last year. Same same date, December 27th was supposed to be the game. And then, of course, the military bowl was canceled due to Boston College. I don't see Coastal Carolina uh, backing out of the game due to COVID. Let's hope not. Let me knock on some wood. Um, but you never know with a coaching change. Uh, let's Let's talk briefly. Uh, Brett, X's and O's just on Coastal and kind of get into, you know, the, the I guess w- what's the mindset of if you're a Coastal player and your your coach is leaving and that's kind of been – the writing's been on the wall kind of the last few weeks and maybe that their performances in the last few games dictated that or played a role in that. Um, you know, do, do you feel like Coastal will still kind of run its – its system not change a whole lot. Do you see any changes in the bowl game? I know they just hired their coach from NC State, but I doubt he will be involved in the coaching side of things. Yeah, and I think that's the million dollar question, not only with this game, but any game where the where the head coach has left. Um I, I think it's the million dollar question in every bowl game now is who's more motivated to play. I mean if you're if you're putting money down on bowl games because you're absolutely sure of somebody's gonna win, you're a fool. Because, I mean, we see it every year. It's kind of like this, where the heck did that 28-point victory come from? Or where did that come from, you know, when when a team that's probably an eight-point, nine-point favorite ends up losing by a couple of touchdowns? And um, as far as Coastal's mindset, uh, you know, a couple of things, you know, Jamie's been a hot name for the last couple of years, so they, they haven't gone through that. I do think. Uh, you know, I think he was seriously in the mix at Georgia Tech, and it didn't work out for a couple of reasons. And um, you know, I do believe he probably would have taken the South Florida job if uh, Liberty did not come open. Uh, I guess early last week when Coach Freeze left and went to Auburn. So, um, 
not to get into his past or anything, but I think that's a really good fit for him and, and Liberty's resources. Um, so I think he b- believes he can build a, a powerhouse G5 program there uh, that can continue year after year due to their resources and their, their allocation of funds for football. But, you know, I'm very familiar with a lot of the guys on the staff, Chad Staggs, the interim head coach, and I, and I were together for three years. Skylar McGee, the D-line coach, and I were together for two years. Uh, Newland Isaac and I, who's their running back coach and co-offensive coordinator, shared an office. And then, of course, their offensive coordinator, Willie Korn, uh, played for us when I was at, when I was at North Greenville. And uh, I, I like the matchup for East Carolina's purposes for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, there is a going to be a great deal. It's, it's kind of a quirky system in a sense that it's very much option-based uh, from the shotgun, but it's not something that Coach Houston and Blake and uh, Roy Tesh and Trip Weaver are unfamiliar with because, you know, those guys were at Lenore Ryan when, when Coach Chadwell and those guys were kind of running it at North Greenville when we were all there. And then when um, they, of course, moved, they were crosstown rivals when Jamie was at um, Charleston Southern and, and Mike was over at the Citadel. So, um, and it's not an offense. I think our strengths kind of fit their their strengths, which is running the football and stopping the run. You know, I got news at eleven. You know, we hadn't exactly been, uh, you know, the steel curtain when it comes to defending the pass the last couple of uh, last couple of months. And you know, it, it, does Grayson McCall play? Does he opt out? You know, those are always the questions. But still, it's not a. It's a. It's a. It's an offense that's based on running the football, you know, putting stress on your force defenders coming down on the option and then beating you down the field and play action pass as opposed to, um, you know, just sitting back there and, and kind of airing it out air raid style, which is which is what we've struggled with over the course of the year. So I like the matchup for our defense. And then Coastal is probably they're, – they're not as good on defense as they've been the last couple of years. I've got a couple of guys on NFL rosters. And they're a little bit banged up, so um, you know they've they've played pretty good defense under uh, Chad the last uh, three or four years. But this year they're you know they've taken a little bit of a not a little bit. It's been a pretty precipitous dip back in the standings. I think they're like 98th in the country in total defense. So I do think the Pirates will be able to uh, move the football and score some points. And I like the matchup on defense. So kind of generalities. I think we probably go in as a touchdown favorite, ten point favorite, and. If we play well and we play motivated, I, I like our chances. Yeah, and and I've gone back and forth on the the motivation thing. Just from ECU standpoint, I've I've already seen fans say the old line: "What do we have to gain from playing this game?" It's almost like when East Carolina plays North Carolina or NC State, and they take the the opposite viewpoint. Um, you know, look, I mean, ECU bowl wins have been tough to come by, Brett, and this program has not even played a bowl game an actual physical game in eight years, the last time being the Birmingham Bowl against Florida to conclude the 2014 season. You know, I get there's some initial disappointment from not playing, say, Missouri, who was projected, or another SEC or ACC team. Um, But also, like, the chance to actually just go out and win a bowl game and have that momentum going into the offseason. You mentioned earlier, Coastal Carolina has started to recruit against ECU more and more the last several years, just from, from my vantage point. You know, maybe one or two instances where Coastal has beaten ECU for a guy that the Pirates have really wanted, but I still think this is an important matchup to kind of establish yourself as one of the the better, uh, you know, G5 programs in this region. Let's be real, 
Coastal Carolina has has been ranked for what the past three years at different point in times. Like Jamie Chadwell did a hell of a job there. Uh, yeah, you could point to the weaker schedule, but Coastal Carolina has gotten more recognition even playing a weaker schedule by dominating the Sun Belt and dominating their, their weaker competition at times over the last few years. So I still think this is a notable game. I think people will be watching, and it's a chance to go out there and win. It's, it's the night game on that Tuesday. I think there's four bowl games, uh, two in the afternoon, so you're going to get people off work that are tuning in for for bowl games or just people that are sitting around prior to Chris or right after Christmas. Um, so I still think this is an important game. Hopefully the guys do show up motivated, because if not, I think they'll, they're going to get beat. I don't buy the whole, you know, you need a power five opponent or whatever. I mean, this coastal team, when they're at their best and if they're all playing, they're better than Boston College was last year. I mean, let's just get real. And um, they've not played well the last two weeks. And, and James Madison and Troy kind of exposed some of their flaws. But I mean, it's still, a, I guess, a nine win football team or a 10 and 10 and three football team. I mean, you know, let's get real. I mean, Syracuse and Missouri and if if they play Coastal Carolina a lot or they play the Sun Belt champion a lot, they're going to lose some of those football games. So I don't. Maybe it's sexier, quote unquote, for for viewer purposes if you're playing the Power Five opponent. But like you said, I mean, it's been so long since we've played in games like this, and we've played in bowl games as it as it relates to East Carolina. Um, you strap your helmet on and let's go play. It's a regional opponent. It's a chance to get the eight wins, which I don't believe we've done since 14. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, a chance to, and a chance to win a bowl game. And, and, you know, you get a ring, whether or not you win or lose a bowl game, you know, but I don't, I don't really wear my participation bowl, Liberty Bowl ring from 2008 much because every time I look at it, I just think about blowing the game versus Kentucky. So, uh, it is what it is. Go, you know, fans can talk, fans can have conjecture, shut up and go play and let's go win. Yeah, I think it's a, a big game. And I do think, you know, if they had to turn around and play on like the 17th, maybe there's a bit of a lull. But the fact that the game is the 27th, you're going to have plenty of time to, like you said, you know, get to some of the younger guys reps. And I think by the end of it, when game week arrives, especially leading up to that game right around Christmas, there's going to be a pretty good buzz about it. And I think the seniors are going to want to go out with a bang. I mean, this, you know, if you're this senior class, okay, you might be going to Birmingham instead of Florida, whatever. But if you can't get fired up for this game after everything you've been for with the program uh, or done for the program, then, uh, you know, I don't know what to tell you. So I think come game day, they'll be ready. And I expect ECU to play well. I'd be very disappointed if they, if they didn't go out and play well. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, McCall earlier. I definitely think that that'll be a big storyline to watch. Does he hit the portal now that the portal's open uh, in these coming days? You know, does he follow Chadwell to Liberty? Does he look at going to the draft? I think that'll play a big role in what the the, the betting line will be down the line. From ECU's perspective, Brett, we've seen a couple guys hit the portal. None really too much of a surprise. I guess the one big surprise at this point was Avery Jones, the starting center. And you know, we can we, we can have this discussion two ways. Uh, a, you know, what, what do you make of that? I, I've got my theory on it, and I've heard that there was some NIL deals being done behind the scenes. Avery walked on senior day, and by all intents and purposes, I, I heard he was going to declare for the draft. Uh, I do think he needed another year of college. Now, I wish he would have returned to ECU, but it sounds like he'll be going to another program um, with an NIL deal. So, Disappointed in that, but it also opens up the need for a new starting center in the bowl game. And 
And, you know, you're talking about the quarterback of the offensive line. I don't know who that's going to be. We talked to Mike Houston later today, so I'm planning to ask who's going to get some reps there. But how much does that change the offense for ECU going into the 27th? Yeah. I mean, the center is the only guy that touches the ball on every play in most instances. I mean, I know the quarterback, but, um, you know, snapping the football, obviously a bad snap here or there can kill a drive. So it's something they've got to address and address pretty early on uh, in bowl prep as it relates. But with with uh, vacancy comes opportunity for the next guy on the roster. Uh, we'll see how Coach Houston and, and Coach Shank address it long term with, with, you know, what are the plans for 2023 and beyond. But, you know, you, you carry three centers into every game for that reason. You know, you can't snap the football, you can't play, so or you can't you can't function as an offense. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Do they move somebody in that that's playing a lot? Is do you take the kind of the take the five best guys approach, um, or do you just kind of go down the depth chart to the next guy who can who you know is going to kind of put it in the quarterback's chest every time snapping the ball? So, uh, not an overall. I mean, I'm probably more concerned because I thought, thought Avery played probably his best football toward uh, this season in particular. But, he, you know, he had games where he played really well late in the year. Um, I'm probably more concerned with, uh, I guess, the production that you're losing here than finding someone who can adequately come in and, and you know, not lose the game snapping the ball, if that makes that, sense. Yeah, I know they've been repping um... – Hampton Urkel, who's like a third or fourth year former preferred walk-on, has been repping there with the second team in practice. So I think he could be a candidate, but Jacob Saker, a big true freshman, also has experience snapping the ball. So they've been, you know, Isaiah Foote's done it in the passive time, so you could theoretically move him, Ben Johnson, the transfer from Marist. So they've got options. It's not like they haven't been preparing. Avery's just been, you know, to his credit, he basically played every snap this year. So uh, you just got to find somebody in there and – you know, I don't think you're facing a 315-pound NFL nose tackle. On, uh, on the sacred okay. note, I do. I think it's a really good one that the NCAA's path where these guys can play four games without losing their year, you yeah. know. So, and it's something that helps alleviate, uh, you know, these teams that are losing 15, 20 guys into the portal between, um, you know, championship weekend and the bowl games, you know, just having the opportunity to, kind of plug and play some of these freshmen and, and get some experience for, for next year and beyond. Speaking of redshirting, Mason Garcia got the redshirt this year. He's only participated in two games. Where do you fall on the let's get Mason Garcia some playing time in this bowl game conversation, Brett, if if you can pick a side? I mean, I can see both sides. Um, I would love to see him go out there and play and get meaningful snaps, but at the same time, do you want to take that out of the hands of your senior who's worked for this moment? I just I'm I'm pretty torn on that. Uh any idea where you fall on that? I think you gotta be all in on winning the football game. Yeah, I think eight wins, eight and five sounds a lot better than seven and six and he can't help you win yet, then you ride or die with with Holton. Um I what the fans don't see, guys, is is this you know, these first six or six Seven practices, Holton's going to do individual period, and that's about it. Mason's going to get every rep um, in pass skill. He's going to get every rep in team. He, they're going to scrimmage two or three days during this time period. So it's not like 
this extra, you know, this extra time is more beneficial to Mason Garcia than probably anybody on this roster because he's going to be going against um, the best guys that are not in Holton's situation on defense. I mean, you're not going to rip Miles and uh, Miles Berry and some of the, uh, you know, Malik Fleming. You don't really got to get him a whole lot of rips. But the next guys on the depth chart that have been playing a lot of snaps on defense, you're going to kind of keep them sharp. So Mason, instead of going against the twos, is going to be going against kind of the one and a halves, if that makes sense. And he's going to be getting all the reps. So the bowl practice is beneficial for him. The bowl game, I think you're all in on winning the game with with number 12. All right, there's your bowl talk. Let's take a quick break, Brett, and then we're going to talk about some of the portal, especially from your perspective now that you're back in this recruiting industry firsthand. Uh, you know, obviously – uh, with Anderson Universities. We'll talk about that. We'll also maybe get into some of the, the big needs for ECU this offseason and what the Pirates need to address in the recruiting trail and in the transfer portal themselves. All right, you're listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. We'll be right back. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back into the Hoist of Colors podcast. We just discussed, or at least started discussing the Birmingham Bowl. We'll start breaking it down more as we get closer. Uh, once we get a better feel for who's actually playing in the game, um, you know, for, especially from Coastal's perspective. Brett, man, today it's Monday. It's December 5th. The FBS transfer portal has officially opened. So we're seeing just... Uh, I mean, I have my uh, my company's Slack messaging system up right now, and I'm just seeing guys enter the portal left and right because they update us on everybody, and it's just – it's chaos, man. Um, you know, f- first, I'm curious from your perspective with Anderson, like are you guys even recruiting the portal at all? And just w- what's your view viewpoint as a, a former coach who's been at the Division One level, been at the FBS level? You- you've seen traditional recruiting – like now it's just like, I mean, it's open season, man. I, I don't even know how to describe it. I don't know how coaches sort all this this stuff out. Yeah, well, we're not playing games till 2024, so it's not very beneficial for us to go in and take a kid who's basically transferring because he wants to play to a place where he's got to practice for a whole year in 2023. <laughs> right. So I'm not diving – we're not diving into it per se, but, you know, just – realizing what a lot of our competitors are doing and and guys that I know uh, basically at every level of college football, Division II, um, you know, Division I FCS and and FBS, what they're going through. And and, and it's – I think it's organized chaos. I did go with it – did go through it as a high school coach with JV. And um, I guess it was last spring when when he chose to leave East Carolina and 
um, just kind of how it how it works, and uh, it, it's not traditional, that's for sure. Yeah, I think the the deal is the these teams that are exclusively hitting the portal when they're not really using it to supplement their roster, I think they're dealing with danger. I mean, you've already seen the lack of consistency from say a Michigan State who who hit on a bunch of kids uh in Mel Tucker's first year and then and then dipped to four or five wins this year without making a bowl game. So I I still think the the way to be successful at the FBS level is to recruit and develop high school talent. Uh, I do think it's a greater time right now for a school like East Carolina to get um, better high school players. I th- I'm seeing this at the Division II level because, um, you know, let's just start with Clemson. You know, Clemson's probably a bad example, but uh, Tennessee might take 15 instead of 25 kids. So now those kids are falling to Kentucky, and then Kentucky now is taking 15 instead of 25 kids. And that that that's trickling down all the way into Division II. Uh, to a sense that I can tell you of a lot of the guys that are on our board right now uh, at the Division II level probably would have been FCS players five years ago when I was into it. So I do think East Carolina has a chance to get better high school players than they've ever gotten. Um, and then, you know, able to kind of fill up and top off the gas tank with guys who can come in and um, kind of fit your deficiencies, if you will, and uh, and or kind of the question marks. So, you know, where does ECU go as it relates to uh, quarterback? You bring in somebody to compete for the job, or you know, we saw it last year with the, off- with the offensive line, and certainly we've had deficiencies talking about East Carolina at, at getting to the quarterback and uh, some other question marks on defense. So it's a new world. I mean, it's gone are the days of uh, – you know, guy sitting for two or three years and hoping he pops as a redshirt sophomore. You know, that that's just not happening anymore. If if you're not producing early in your career, then then they're out trying to find immediate help uh, behind a guy who started. I mean, we saw we see it with like Chance Bates for Isaiah Winstead this year. Those guys came in and and immediately provided some production at, at inside linebacker and receivers. And I would expect ECU to be. Um, you know, trying to get better at, at certain spots where, where maybe they haven't recruited as well as, as they could have or should have or whatever the case is. And I think, too, it's like you mentioned, EC, I think now with 15 or, or 16 verbal commitments uh, from high school and JUCO. And if you look at everybody across college football, they're right around that number where they're, at, you know, 13 to 15, whereas previously they'd be around 20 right now trying to get to 25. And you're seeing that trickle down effect. Like some of the guys, ECU, Hosted on recruiting visits this weekend from high school and JUCO would be, you know, quote unquote power five level players that would never think about visiting ECU. So um, you're seeing it everywhere. I think that's something ECU can take advantage of. Now you're going to lose probably a player or two that wants to transfer up at some point, like Avery Jones. But I think the the you can get kind of the the other side of that in a more positive way as long as you keep a stable program like Mike Houston has has done at East Carolina. Um, wh- Brett, where do you fall on the, the, the quarterback deal? We just, we just talked about Garcia. We've also had the conversation that it's, it's easier than ever to get a quality, pretty proven quarterback through the portal. Yep. You know, the coaching staff has to be talking about this. Hey, do we want to go out, get a guy or do we, do we want to just roll with Garcia? And I'm sure that there's the flip side of, you know, if you bring in a quarterback, you're probably going to piss off Garcia. 
but it's also the reality you have to have a good quarterback to compete for a championship. So where do you fall on whether or not ECU should look into the portal for a QB? Well, I think anybody, and this is certainly no referendum on Mason without without knowing the, the total situation, I think anyone who's scared off of competitions in the wrong sport, or at least they're playing at the wrong level of it, and I get it, that's one position and one guy wants to play, and I've got to be careful, I actually can't mention any names in the portal because it would be an NCAA violation, not like I'm recruiting some of these guys that are leaving quote-unquote Power 5 institutions, but, um, you know, there there's two guys that play regionally in the Atlantic Coast Conference or whatever that are, um, you know, whatever, didn't get a chance to play, but they were four- and five-star recruits or, or you know, that they clearly got talent. I mean, you kick the tires on that. You know, Mike Houston's job is not to uh, appease anybody on his roster, quarterback, defensive end, defensive back, whatever. His job is to win football games at East Carolina and to graduate young men. And to do that uh, and to keep his job, he's got to win games. So I'm anytime you can get a guy to come in and make somebody else better or, you know, in a case like Isaiah Wentz said, come in and make your roster better because he's productive, then you do it. I don't care what the position is. I think everyone on the quarterback is a little bit different of a job. But if you think Mason's the guy, then you still got to bring it. You probably need to bring in a backup. If you're not quite sure yet, then you need to bring in somebody who's good enough to play play for you. I mean, that that's the case is because uh, as much as as much as you develop relationships with these guys, he's not going to be around uh, if East Carolina strings together four and eight and five and seven seasons. Yeah, we know Ryan Stubblefield entered the portal. I, I guess you can't comment on him. <laughs> I don't want to make you make you get an NCAA violation, but uh. You know, so you only have three scholarship quarterbacks going into next year uh, with Alex Flynn. Uh, Holt Naylor's obviously moving on. Garcia, and then you're bringing in Raheem Jeter, another guy I guess you can't comment on um, as a high school recruit. But, you know, you got to have more than three scholarship quarterbacks. So I feel like either way they're going to add a, a QB at some point. Um, defensively, Brett, so it's no secret the pass defense for ECU I think it's ranked like 130th out of 131 teams in passing yardage. Now, there's more than just giving up passing yardage. Some of that is due to ECU's strength against the run, but teams just aren't running the ball right now. And people keep asking me, like, what has changed defensively for ECU? From my vantage point, not a whole lot has changed. ECU, I, I think teams have just realized ECU is really good against the run, and they can't rush the passer consistently. They can't stop the pass. Have you seen anything differently, or do you just think it's it's more of what offenses are doing against ECU? I mean, we hit on it. You know, East Carolina's going almost exclusively with the tight front, which, you know, not to get into too much X's and O's, you've got, you know, two your two defensive ends are lined up essentially head up to slightly inside the offensive tackle, which is not nearly as good of a pass rush angle as being outside, but it is a, it's a stout run defense. Um if you will. So that's, that's been the first and second down deal is, is you've, you got a little bit of a scheme issue. Um, but at the same time, you know, even on third down, we're not getting home when, when we're widening those guys out, we're getting after it. So, um, you know, Rick Smith, who I worked for for three years, obviously, and is familiar with a lot of East Carolina people, you know, he, Coach Smith's one of the greatest defensive back coaches I've ever been around ever. You know, I consider him a mentor, 
when it comes to secondary play, but he used to always say it starts up front. And we were pretty doggone good in the secondary when we had Linville Joseph and Jay Ross and C.J. Wilson and Zach Slate and Scotty Robinson and those guys getting after the quarterback uh, because you're not having to cover them as long. And uh, the rush has to complement the coverage, and the coverage has to complement the rush. And, uh, you know, I know that sounds like absolute coach speak, but it is, you know, it's the truth. We're not getting home, uh, and we're not covering them as well as as we should. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's got to start with, with improving the pass rush. I mean, we have been completely deficient um, at getting home right now, you know, on, on – uh, and I don't know if it's as much the D line as it is. We just don't have that dominant guy kind of at the rush position or, or the same position tends to be more of a safety type body for us right now with Stringer and Jaira and some of those guys. But, um, you know, just it, it's got to start with, with finding some guys who can get home and affect the quarterback. Yeah, there's no doubt ECU had a, a corner in for a visit this weekend, also a, a linebacker who could play rush. So I think the staff realizes it. They're they're trying to fix it. They've sent out some offers, some interest to those types of guys as well. I want to ask you this, Brett. Um, you know, everybody everybody's running like a variation of the four two five or some version of it now defensively. So ECU with its Sam, as you mentioned, like they kind of play a bigger safety type guy who you would think would be more effective against the run than the pass. Whereas like I've noticed a team like Cincinnati, they use more of a nickel, like a corner. Is that, do you think that's playing a role in ECU's, I don't know, pass defense inconsistency, inconsistency the past few years? Is that a personnel change ECU could, could think about making? Maybe, you know, I think you got to be pretty salty against the run to be able to do that because essentially you're giving up. Uh, you're giving up a half man in the box that can fit the run. I mean, the the one thing about having Gerard Stringer out there all year is he's essentially eliminated, particularly early in the year, he eliminated the the what I call the horizontal screen game, the bubbles, the nows, the um the the flat RPO route that everybody's doing with the tight end leaking because he can just dominate a number two receiver. When you give up that to give up and get more of a cover corner type guy in the slot, it makes it a little bit easier to block that guy on all of those things. So it's give and take. Um, you know, one thing, uh, just watching a lot of football of, of people that have struggled, I, I noticed it um, this weekend, or I've noticed it all year with East Carolina, you know, this weekend watching, um, gosh, who was I watching? Uh, Kansas State, TCU, They both of those teams kind of struggled at that boundary safety spot, which is where Tegan Wilk and Jaira Wilson have played most of the year. Uh, North Carolina's really struggled at it. Clemson struggled with it. You know, case in point, you know, that guy's in the run fit so often um, that your eyes have to be very disciplined. That's a spot East Carolina, I think, has really struggled with when it comes to when to fit the run, when to bail, when to help the boundary corner out. Um, and and the lack of a Jaquan McMillan down there to the boundary and putting uh, Juwan Powell or whoever's in there um, – has, has kind of been exposed over the course of the last couple of weeks. So there's got to be a lot of – I mean, you're not going to do it for the bowl game, but there's got to be some quality control in the offseason to take some stress off both the boundary safety and the field sand position. And uh, do you do it by getting – I mean, you start putting more cover bodies at those two spots, then, you know, you got to be able to hold up in the run with five and six guys. 
Good analysis from Brett Hickman, as always. Brett, we're running out of time, so we'll get you out of here. But as always, man, appreciate it. I uh, appreciate your insight. Thanks for the time. And hopefully, uh, if we don't get you on before the bowl game for a more in-depth X's and O's uh, talk, I know you'll you'll share some thoughts on the message board, as always, and then we'll get your, your post-game analysis. So we appreciate it, as always, man, and best of luck on the recruiting trail for Anderson. Sounds good, Stephen. Merry Christmas to all of Pirate Nation. Hope to see a lot of purple in the crowd in Birmingham on TV. I'll actually be in Pigeon Forge, so my family and I cannot make the trip. I hope to see a, a lot and we can get to eight wins uh, for the first time in a while. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy the banter and I look forward to uh, discussing kind of our postseason thoughts uh, after a uh, hopefully a Pirate victory in the Birmingham Bowl. That is Brett Hickman. I'm Stephen Igo. We'll have more up on the Birmingham Bowl. We're going to try to get together for a meeting, uh, I think, the night of the 26th for the Hoist of Colors crew. So we'll have more on that as we get closer to the bowl game. But that'll do it for this edition of the HTC Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you next time. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus.